I have been in religion one way or another my entire life. 15 years in professional ministry, which includes the past nine years as an ordained minister, three years in divinity school, and three years as a religious educator. Before that, I worked in schools for one year, my one non-religious year as an adult. Before that, I was in college, where I was a religion major and worked for the multi-faith chapel on college, on campus. As a teenager, I was active in my Presbyterian church, going regularly, getting confirmed, and even doing a mission trip. Before that, my family went to the local Unitarian Universalist congregation, which we started attending when I was pretty young. Growing up, religion was everywhere in my home. Books about religion were scattered about our house. Thich Nhat Hanh, Marcus Borg, Jack Kornfield, Eckhart Tolle. My dad would underline these books with bright red ink, highlighting passages with little stars, some so thoroughly that there were pages where every word was underlined by his pen. He would share his philosophical and spiritual discoveries with us, which were woven into his parenting style and life lessons for us children. This learning and reading was part of how my dad wrestled with the dominating force of religion in our family. Religion was what Vogels did. It was our thing. My grandfather, my dad's dad, was a minister. So was his father, my great-grandfather. Another great-grandfather on my mom's side was also a minister. My great-uncle was a minister, and so was a regular uncle. Religion, church, faith, congregations, they have been part of my life as long as I can remember. My life story is intimately and intricately connected to religion. It is how I grew up. It was how I was taught to make meaning. It is the lens through which the great questions and struggles of life are processed and viewed. I share this because it, there is one thing in life that I feel like I should understand intuitively and through experience. It is religion. Until fairly recently, I would have felt confident in this. I would have felt like I could tell you what makes a congregation thrive and what good ministry looks like and what strong community feels like. I could have gone into great detail about what is reasonable to expect in terms of congregational growth or volunteering or programming or worship. I would have felt confident because by and large, over the course of my life, these things haven't changed very much. There have been some changes, of course. The internet happened, and social media too, but I came of age with them, the last generation that can remember the time before. I remember Twitter coming out when I worked at a congregation, and all the concerns about how it might disrupt them, how it might follow where you were, because people didn't really understand what it was but also the conversations about how congregations could use it 
and Facebook, and then Instagram. Every congregation I've been to has changed their website, dating back 15 years during my time there, mostly because they really needed to. But these were always technical challenges. The religious operating system remained the same. But over the last few years, I have felt a more significant change. And I don't feel like I understand religion anymore. The old frameworks, the old norms, the old practices feel like they no longer apply. I think this comes from two major places. The first is the overall decline in religion in America that has reached a point where it's impossible to ignore. For years, congregations could adapt, cut their losses, carry on mostly as normal. But that is becoming more and more difficult. Even in the seven years with you, we have seen congregations around us close. Congregations go from full-time ministries to very part-time and other undeniable signs of decline. It was not always this way. Many of us can remember a time of great religious abundance. When I was growing up, the baby boomers were returning to church and they were bringing their kids. My home congregation grew from barely more than 100, 100 people to more than 800. They weren't alone either. Today though, I don't know of any UU congregations growing like that. I only know a handful that are growing at all. The second reason for these changes, these systemic changes, I think is the pandemic. It certainly accelerated the decline that we were already seeing. Membership has dropped almost everywhere, especially among younger families and children. Religious education has been decimated. But more significant, the pandemic appears to have fundamentally changed the way people and religious communities behave. Our attendance, when you include the good folks joining on Zoom each week, is actually the highest it's ever been by far, which is wonderful and great, and I am so grateful for that. But it raises all sorts of really difficult questions. What does it mean to serve a community or even just have a community when half the people who are part of it are people you may never meet or talk to or know? What does connection and community look like then? What does it mean to go deeper? How do you maintain the same in-person experience when you need the same or more volunteers but half the congregation is online and not available to help. The combination of religious decline and the pandemic reconfiguring has left me, and not just me, fortunately, disoriented. I don't know what religious community and ministry is supposed to look like now. I don't know what it means to be doing a good job. I don't know what it is reasonable to expect or which metrics to use to judge success or failure. The old rules that I have known my entire life, my entire professional life as well, they don't seem to apply anymore. And the new rules are not clear. Having been in the world of a religion for so long, 
I can't help but feel unsettled by the passing of the old ways. But it also ignites within me a curiosity and a sense of adventure. Our work together becomes a laboratory of experimentation, of asking new questions about how this present moment speaks to our hopes for the future. I have often been asked what I will do with my sabbatical. My hope is to come back to you having spent my sabbatical trying to regain my footing, to figure out what is going on out there when I have been mostly here with you. I'm going to go exploring. I'm going to visit as many religious communities as I can, see what other people are doing. I'm going to try to get that sense of grounding and understanding that I've lost. I want to attend Unitarian Universalist congregations, but also Christian ones and Jewish ones, pagan communities and Buddhist sanghas. How are people making meaning together? How are they building community? Is everyone struggling with these questions? Or are there some that have figured it out? I am grateful that my sabbatical allows me to explore. Despite being with you for seven years, I have never been to a Sunday service at most of our sister congregations in the city or in the area because I am usually here. So much of my time is spent preparing for Sundays, thinking and reading and researching about sermons, that it can be difficult to break out of the weekly pressure to produce. It becomes difficult for me to read without a voice in my head asking if this story that I'm reading or this idea I've encountered or this article or book that I am perusing, maybe it's useful for a sermon. It's difficult to step out of that and see the larger picture, to learn for learning's sake, to see life as more than just a series of possible preaching anecdotes. To be a minister is to offer your life and learning up as an example for good or for ill, but the danger is that you lose yourself in that. I feel fortunate that I can, at least for the next few months, return to a way of life dictated not by the need to create weekly content, but to pursue my religious curiosity wherever it might go. It is a return to my pre-ministerial life, the version of me that majored in religion simply because I found it fascinating, not because I thought it would be useful for a job. It's a return to a non-capitalist approach to life, seeing my output as a measure of my value, because ultimately I know deep down the point of this life and the point of good religion is about honoring our intrinsic, not our proven value. So I am looking forward to these next few months to rediscovering that, but I'm also looking forward to returning to you. I am excited because despite my uncertainty about religion, despite all these shifts and changes happening around us, I actually really think that our congregation is doing some special things. I'm proud of what we've done here and what we're doing. We aren't the biggest congregation in the world or in the city. We're not the most resourced or wealthy, 
we aren't the shiniest and we don't have the most perfect building as the scaffolding and work and dust in the air indicate. But we are adventurous and we are brave. We ask hard questions of ourselves and others. We are afraid to follow our hearts and our values and put our principles into action. We here have a legacy of history that is important, but we use it as an inspiration, not as an excuse to stay the same. This is part of what I love about this congregation and part of what I will miss when I am not here the next six months. Everything feels possible here. Things are always changing. You are up for the challenge of facing the realities of the world and then working to improve it. And you believe we are better together, not alone, which is why we are a community and not something else. I will miss you while I'm away, but I will look forward to seeing you again to rejoin in the beautiful work of building this community and a world formed by justice and love. It is the work that holds us through the changes of our time, that invites us into deeper meaning and exploration and connection and action. It is the work of religion that we are called to do. And this is the kind of a religion that I believe can thrive, even today, even in all our changes. I look forward to doing that religion with you. Amen and blessed be. Hi, and welcome to Getting the Message, where we dive a little bit further into the concepts that we talked about in the reflection and in our service today. I'm so excited to get to sit down with Reverend Schuyler for the last time for a while um, and also enjoy our dynamic uh, lighting. This is the sun. We haven't seen it in a few days, it feels like, um, so we'll take it. Yeah, Ember, great to be here. I'm sorry that I will be going away for uh, six months, but I'll be back in the fall ready to celebrate homecoming Sunday, and uh, hope we will come back with lots of thoughts and ideas from my sabbatical. Homecoming Sunday is practically here then. <laughs> the spring will go by quick, I think, you know. That's true. I think so. I think we have we have a lot of things going on. Um, I feel like I'm regularly updating the RE calendar with like, there's this thing going on, there's this thing going on, and that feels exciting. Um, so yeah, before too long, it'll be summer, and then before too long, it'll be, um, but I really um, loved the message, as you know. I texted you that after I after I read it. Um, I thought that it was really wonderful, and I thought that it was um, a great pre-sabbatical message. So, what exactly is a sabbatical? Yeah, uh, it's a good question, and I didn't talk too much about it in the actual sermon. But um, you know, sabbaticals are often, a, I think, attached to the idea of university sabbaticals, professors, faculty going on sabbatical for research. Um, but for, you know, for generations, Unitarian Universalist ministers have also had sabbatical. Um, it's very common in, and there are letters of agreement with their congregations that between four and seven years, uh, UU ministers can take a sabbatical, one, one month for every year served. So this is my seventh year with fourth Universalist. So um, uh, it would be seven months, but I'm actually only taking four and then sort of rolling into my normal summer leave. So um, yeah, so sabbaticals are, you know, they're a combination of things. They're a time for rest and renewal. I think that a way for congregations to make sure that clergy don't burn out, uh, that clergy have a time to step back a little bit from 
I think what I, I experienced, you know, a lot of other ministers find kind of a, a, a grueling weekly need to produce. Um, I talk a little bit about that in my, my reflection. Um, and also just that, you know, they want, they want the, the work of a, of a minister is, is not just sort of the practical running of a congregation and, and, and doing things like preaching and pastoral care, but it's also embodying a spiritual reflective life. And it's hard to do that sometimes when you are uh, busy. busy and doing a whole lot of stuff that isn't just on Sunday morning, right? I, or you know that I'm in meetings. Um, often. Often. Uh, most of my evenings are full of meetings uh, and events events and programs and community engagements. So uh, it is helpful to have this time where I don't have to think about other things. And I can just kind of um, both step back from that, but also focus on stuff that I am very curious about and interested about. Uh, and, you know, I talk about this in the reflection, right, what I'm going to be doing. But to have a, to have a time to to research and be curious and explore stuff that's not dependent upon oh what's what's useful for my right next, for your next, next sermon. sermon yeah no definitely and I think it's it definitely seems like a in my experience a mainline Protestant tradition overall like the idea of doing sabbaticals um, I know that in the in the UCC they had them and um, the evangelical world definitely not did not have them <laughs> pastors just go and go and go until they until they pass out you know that's pretty much it and if you don't do that then you're not a good pastor <laughs> like that is you know perhaps um, some toxic theology uh, <laughs> but yeah no i think it's it's really important that um you know i uh, trying to to convey doing ministry work to friends like sometimes can be a little bit strange because this is unless you're in this kind of work you don't really understand like the actual you know, day to day, hour by hour, like the reality of, of what, um, what this kind of work can be and what, um, you know, like it, it's not that it's taxing on the psyche, but like, you know, after time, like if you're offering spiritual guidance in tough moments and uh, that, that stuff adds up over time to like to your own soul and you need that time to like recharge and refuel to like be able to do that well. That's right. Right. Yeah, I think, I mean, I know for me, you're absolutely right, Amber. It's, it's not the individual things that are, are necessarily taxing or tiring. Um, but I think one of the things that I, I know that I experienced and a lot of other ministers experience is there's a relentlessness to the work that you're never really off. You're, you're waking up in the morning or you wake up in the middle of the night and you have an idea about a sermon or something connects. Um, or and, there's an emergency. Or there's an emergency, you know, and you have to go to the hospital. Um, and so you're always kind of processing stuff. And so the actual, like, for example, writing sermons, like, it's not just the writing and sitting in front of your computer. It's, it's the going about your day and having this little part in your mind that says, like, oh, is this experience, you know, could this be used in a sermon? Or you're trying to put together pieces uh, as you kind of, you know, go to this through the subway or right. whatever. Um, and that's, a, and it's different than I think a lot of other, other jobs. And I think it's different than even other other faith communities because we don't you use I think expect a lot from from the ministers you know I'm not just getting up there you know remember when you preach too you're not just getting up there and and going through like here are the three things you should know about this part of the bible right right um, which is what a lot of um, a lot of other traditions do right you have the text with the day and and your job as the minister is to basically exercise it to talk about that text and that's very different than having the, the, the full slate of, of humanity and I think the fourth you especially expects expects their minister uh, to really have uh, be an example of the learned 
ministry, which is a concept that comes out of Unitarianism itself, right? That like you need to be educated, you need to be engaged with the topics of your day. You can't just kind of wing it. Um, and that comes with a lot of pressure. I think it comes with particularly public pressure, right? I mean, I, I think you have to kind of be in front of everybody and present yourself to the world every day. And it's it's rare that people can just come and evaluate you as a person and you see how, oh, are they good at their job? Um, and ministers are in that position every single week. In fact, that can kind of wear on you too. So I think sabbatical helps take a lot of that stuff and, and gives a space that ministers can, can keep doing the work, uh, particularly you, you clergy. Right. So it's a public facing work in a way that like not very many other positions, you know, besides maybe like politics, but even then I feel like they're slightly able to like set clear boundaries, not like here's my private life. And, you know, most congressmen get like 16 weeks of vacation every year. Um, like, you know, so yeah, ministry is just all, you know, you're, you're always kind of on, always facing out. You know, I think as you were talking, you made me think about how, you know, even on my days off, I, might like be on the the train and be like, there's an idea like for something I need to do this week, open my notes app, jot it down, mm -hmm. leave it to later. But like, you're, you're always, you never know when like an idea is gonna pop up. It's, it's not something you can cut like clean hours <laughs> um, around like, it, which has always been strange when I like, um, my, my previous position, one of my previous ministry positions at um, a congregation was like a youth director, but it was like, it was, it was hourly. And so I had to like report in the hours and like, I just all like, you know, when with something like a bit more structured, like what we have our lead teachers where they know that like, these are the hours that I have to be there. But like when I was the youth minister, I needed to be reaching out to the youth and connecting with them and connecting with family. Like it wasn't like there was a clean, like, let's say every um, Tuesday, I'm going to call for family. <laughs> like, so you got to just be ready to like have these conversations anytime. Um, so even like that 10 hour position, yeah. it wasn't like there was an easy, like on off switch for like, this is when I am the youth director and this is when I'm not. Um, well, I bet often too, when, when you are, when you're trying to reach people, like they're people you're working with families, right? Like most, you know, like people working during the day, then you are connecting with them in the evening. Right. And so your schedule is kind of flopped from everybody else, right? Because they are available to you at night, uh, but, or they're not at school if they're teenagers. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I think that the lesson holds for like members of our congregation that might be listening to this and just anybody that like rest is an important part of life. Um, like we can't, you know, I think our our culture is so much about like the hustle culture and about like the you're always going, 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 and that's that's just not it's not good for anybody. Yeah, I think I mean I think there's a world. This is important for I think for bringing it up that like I think there's a world where someone listening you know says like what a what a wonderful privilege uh, and what a what a lucky person and and how and how you know being clergy must be really easy um to get such long times off and there is truth that we are lucky in this world and like i i feel very grateful for this time away and the congregation um but i would also suggest that like just because a first of all when we talk about the challenges right and like clergy burnout rates are like really really high and there's not enough clergy and so like you know if anyone wants this life it is available it's uh they, they're not particularly they're they're getting less discerning for who they can you know so uh, <laughs> you're welcome to sign up um we need more you, you, you didn't hear that part about less discerning <laughs> no i think i think but you know congregations really do need 
more clergy. And so if this appeals to you, let me know, and I'm happy to talk with you about that. Um, but I, I think it speaks to a larger issue of what our culture allows us to, to, to do and, and how we understand rest and renewal. I was just reading yesterday that in the Middle Ages, the, the, the Pope decreed, maybe the Pope or maybe it was a king, decreed that you get that all the medieval laborers got two weeks off, one week before Easter, one week after to celebrate Easter. Uh, they just said no one's working because you have to be in church. Um, now that's not exactly a vacation; you're supposed to be in church. But, but in, you know, the ninth century, laborers and peasants are getting two weeks off around Easter. Um, you know, many of us today barely get two weeks off uh, from our own jobs. So, like, I, I think part of it is like we have to reframe and and really fight and push ourselves. If we are, if we're the managers, we run our business organization. Think about how we can reframe and, and offer real periods of significant rest and renewal and time away, uh, paid time away for our people. And if we are a person who feel, feels like I don't get enough time away and, and maybe rightfully feels resentful for those who do, um, who are able to set their schedules as frankly people who are in management get to decide, you know, they'd work from home, they could do a big travel while they work. Um, think about ways that like you can push and organize, maybe it's unionized, I don't know, um, because you all deserve. You know, Everybody deserves a sabbatical. Deserve sabbatical. Um, or at least time to take away to, to not have to feel like you need to prove yourself to live, right? Like, you know, you shouldn't have to be perfect. You shouldn't have to be always great at your job to deserve time to live your life. Yeah. I think that's a great note to end it on. Thank you all for joining us. And uh, Skylar, we'll see you in September. See ya, Ember. Thank you all. See you then.